Chapter 10 Saved by an Angel It was spring again, and another bitter winter was over. During their best to gather their strength, the Wehrmacht penetrated further and further eastward into Russia. In their ruthless wake they left broken bodies and a broken country. Ignoring Lieutenant Gutschalk's warnings, Franz tried to alleviate suffering wherever he could. Sometimes his own wounded or dying comrades needed assistance. At other times he aided Jews and Ukrainians. He did not distinguish between friend and foe, knowing that Jesus would have treated them the same also. The Germans took hundreds of thousands of Russian soldiers prisoners of war. As Franz watched SS troops herd them into heavily guarded makeshift camps, his heart went out to these ragged, defeated men. They lived like cattle in the inadequate space, yet their misery had only begun. The Germans did not have enough food to feed their own men, much less the prisoners, and soon the camps became hellholes of starvation. During a prolonged stay in one area, Franz learned that a prison camp was not far away. Though it was streng verboten, he visited the camp in the evening. On the way, he thought, So many things are strictly forbidden these days. I can't let that dictate my behavior. When he arrived, it broke his heart to see the men beyond the barbed wire fence lift their skeletal hands to him in supplication. He went to see his friend in the kitchen. Willie, he said urgently, I have a special request. Would you let me have the leftover food after each meal? Willie stared long and hard at Franz. By this time, he'd become used to his friend's unorthodox ways. So rolling his eyes, he said, Okay, okay, take anything that you want. Just don't tell me what plot you're hatching now. Three times a day, Franz covertly collected the scraps. In the evenings, he made his way to the prison camp loaded with sacks of bread crusts and kettles of boiled potatoes and vegetables. For several days, he was unchallenged. Then the guard on duty spotted him and approached him at a dead run. Stop! When he caught sight of Franz's rank insignia, he became more respectful. What is your business here, Corporal? I have leftover foods that I am taking to the prisoners. I'm sorry, Corporal, but that is strictly forbidden. I know it is, Franz said earnestly, but these men are humans like us. They are defenseless and at our mercy. What if you and I became prisoners of war to the Russians and were hungry as wolves? The guard shuddered and crossed himself. God forbid. Wouldn't we be grateful if someone brought us food? The guard nodded. You're right, of course, but I still can't allow it. Now listen, Franz said persuasively. You are a guard. It is your duty to patrol. Just walk to the corner of the camp over there. While your back is turned, I'll toss the food over the fence. And by the time you come back, I'll be gone. You won't have seen me, and you won't be responsible. Giving a quick Heil Hitler salute, the soft-hearted soldier turned without another word and resumed his patrol, knowing full well that he was risking his life by doing so. Hastily, Franz threw the food over the fence. Falling on it like starved lions, the prisoners devoured what they could grasp. One man got hold of a boiled potato and in his frenzy grabbed it so tight that the white mash squeezed through his fingers. Others seized his wrist and licked it off his hands. With pity, Franz watched before stealing away. There was little hope for their survival. Of the 750,000 prisoners taken in Kiev alone, only 22,000 returned alive. The war had gone on for four years. Franz missed his family and found it hard to live in a setting so foreign to his nature. His greatest satisfaction came when he had a chance to give Bible studies. Hassel, 
a curious soldier would ask. How come you're so careful not to work on Saturday? It's a long story. Come to my billet after supper and I'll tell you. Word spread to the other soldiers and he had many opportunities to study the Bible truths and prophecies with the men. Eventually there wasn't a soldier in the company who hadn't heard his witness. He found many of the men very open and interested and he took them through an entire Bible study series. At 8 o'clock one rainy Monday morning, Sergeant Erich and other officers assembled in Franz's quarters to play scat, the men's favorite card game. Franz soon steered the conversation to Daniel's predictions about the second coming of Christ and the end of the world. Look at this, he said. He reached into his Bible pocket, produced a small postcard bearing a picture of the image in Daniel 2, and handed it around. Opening his Bible, he explained that these were the last days of Earth's history. Hitler will never be able to unite the world under German rule, he said confidently, because that is not in harmony with Bible prophecy. The next event will be the rock that will smash the statue, and that will mark the end of our world. Then God will set up his own kingdom. Fascinated, the men listened, asking many questions. Franz always seemed to find the right response. Finally, someone glanced at the clock. It's noon. We've been sitting here talking for four hours. We're going to have to rush if we want to get anything to eat. In the officer's mess, the men enthusiastically shared with others what they had just heard. It didn't take long for word to reach Halpen Mikus, who had replaced Brandt two years earlier. He didn't waste any time summoning Franz to his quarters at 1 p.m. Hassel. There was an unfamiliar growl in his voice. Though normally well disposed toward Franz, he was clearly indignant this time. Is it true that you talked to my officers for four hours about the end of the world? Yes, sir, I did. How dare you say such things? Sir? You know perfectly well that Hitler is establishing the Third Reich. That Reich will last a thousand years. Franz stood looking at him, not quite sure what to say. There is not going to be an end of the world, Hassel. Hauptmann Miko stood to his feet and pointed his finger firmly at Franz. I barely managed to defend you to my officers this time, but I absolutely forbid you to talk about it again. Do you understand? Yes, sir, Franz said, with a differential hand-to-cap salute. I just hope, said Mikus, half to himself as Franz turned away, that you haven't shared this nonsense with the troops yet. If you only knew, thought Franz. He left the room, leaving the Hauptmann shaking his head. For two years now, all German military personnel had been ordered to salute only with a stiffly outstretched arm and a crisp, Heil Hitler. Somehow the incorrigible Corporal Hassel always ignored this. In his worship that night, Franz again turned to Amos 5.13. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. He heeded this advice and determined to become much more cautious when talking to the soldiers but still he never missed an appropriate opportunity to tell about Christ, his second coming, and accountability to God. During the past years he had earned the respect of most of the men. Only a few of them, mostly the newcomers, ridiculed him. Leo, who had recently joined the pioneers, was the worst. He fancied himself a comedian and used Franz as the butt of his jokes. Hey Franz, he would shout, you're turning yellow from eating all those carrots! Another time, he would hoot with laughter. Reading the Bible again, Hassel? We'll have to put you in a zoo with our ancestors, the apes. Finally, Franz's patience snapped. Leo, 
he said in what he hoped was a deadly voice, I warn you, if you make fun of me one more time, I'll beat you up. Everyone within hearing immediately turned to watch. Leo measured Franz with his eyes. Castle's tall, he seemed to be thinking, but he works in an office all day, while I'm out building bridges. I can take him easy. Come on, Zen Hassel, he sneered. I'm not scared of a cabbage eater's punch. With one mighty swing of his fist, Franz knocked Leo unconscious, landing him four feet away in the mud. Franz brushed his hands together in a gesture that said louder than words, There, I showed you. His comrades whistled and cheered. The luckless Leo, still out like a light, had no way of knowing what they knew. Though nearly twice the age of most of the younger men, Franz regularly won the weightlifting competitions. But as Leo began coming to his senses, Franz was coming to his. He knew what he had to do. First, he went into his office and knelt by his desk. Lord, he prayed, I have sinned against Leo and against you. I trusted in my own strengths rather than listening to your guidance. What a hypocrite I am, talking to the men about Christ-like life while acting like a common street brawler. I don't want to be this kind of person. Please forgive me. Then Franz went outside and apologized to Leo, who by now was sitting up trying to clear his head. While this incident gained Franz the admiration of many of the soldiers, he was ashamed of his behavior. He did not want respect that was based on violence. Meanwhile, the German infantry captured a village containing a railroad junction deep in the heart of the Ukraine, not far from where the pioneers were stationed. Franz and five other soldiers were sent ahead to this town with orders to prepare living quarters for the rest of the unit, who would join them in a few days. Since no danger was expected, Franz was also asked to take along the company documents, all the money, and the goods from the store. They took a jeep and a truck with a trailer, loaded them high with supplies, and set out. When they arrived at the junction, they found men from other battalions already stationed there. Just opposite the train station, Franz discovered a building, which the locals considered to be a hotel. Its rooms had dirt floors and were stripped of all furniture. Outside were an outhouse and a water well. Deciding to stay in one of the unoccupied rooms, he threw his straw tick on the floor and piled the document files into a corner. The others found a barn where they made their beds on hay. Since this was an important junction, everyone had to be watchful. Twice a day, Franz climbed the wooden observation tower attached to the train station and scanned the horizon. At night, the soldiers slept fully clothed except for their boots. Things were quiet, however, and it was easy to let vigilance slip. On Friday, when done with his bookkeeping, Franz polished his boots and brushed his uniform, as was his custom on the preparation day. By sundown, he was ready to celebrate the Sabbath. He decided to spend the next day in the woods not far away. Here he would be undisturbed in his Bible study and meditation. Every day he'd been conscientiously reading his Bible and praying, but he'd known for quite a while that he needed some quiet time alone with the Lord. Ever since the incident with Leo, God seemed somehow far away. Sabbath morning at breakfast, he took extra slices of bread and left, carrying his Bible in one pocket and the bread and a canister of water in the other. I wonder if it's worth the risk, he asked himself. When I'm separated from the unit, I'm more vulnerable. A sniper could pick me off, and no one would find me. I could step on a landmine and be blown to bits. Should I stay in my billet? No, he finally decided. I have to go. I need to regain my closeness to God. 
woods, he found a broken log to sit on and opened his Bible. Almost immediately, he was distracted by a squirrel scolding in the branches above him. He brought his eyes back to the page. In the world, you shall have tribulation. A crow cawed loudly. He followed it with his eyes, then jerked his attention back to the scripture. Maybe he needed to read a different passage. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He couldn't keep his thoughts on what he was reading. Strange he should feel so empty. Was the war getting to him? He was worried. No, worse than that, he was afraid. Not of snipers or landmines or Hitler. He was afraid because even though he had disciplined himself to read the Bible daily, he no longer heard God speaking to him. He had lost the sense of God's presence. Now, sitting there alone in the forest, more than 1,000 plus miles away from his family, he felt a deep depression settle on him. As the day wore on, he became more and more discouraged. He felt as far from God as he ever had. Finally, before going back to camp, he prayed, Lord, you see the state of mind I'm in. If you are still with me, then give me a sign. On the way back to camp, Franz sang the words of the ancient hymn. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Two weeks went by, during which the Soviets steadily stepped up their offensive. Daily, Russian tanks advanced toward the village, and just as often were driven back by the German Stukas, bombarding them from the air. Each side hurled grenades, fired shells, and blasted each other with artillery. The shooting was incessant. When their unit did not join them, the six pioneers felt more and more uneasy. Another Sabbath passed. Now, of course, there was no chance of a quiet day in the woods, so Franz remained by himself in his bare dirt-floor room. As he paged through his Bible, his eyes fell on familiar words from Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He'd read them often, but in his mood of spiritual emptiness they seemed distant and impersonal. Finally, as evening came, he fell into a heavy sleep. Early the next morning he awoke with a start. Something was not right. He lay still for a moment, then he heard it. A low, rumbling drone, very far away. Sunda? he wondered drowsily. No, it can't be Sunda. It sounds too steady, too human. Human? He leaped out of bed, jumped into his boots, and dashed out of the room across the dirt road to the observation tower. Scrambling up the stairs two at a time, he eventually reached the top. The ominous rumbling was louder up here, and as he peered out into the early dawn, he could just make out the shadowy bulks of Russian tanks converging on the village from all directions. Other, closer vehicles scurried away. The German infantry was fleeing post-haste. They've got us, Franz thought. This is it. This is the end. Dear God, help us. Are we lost? He glanced around. No, Von Order's open yet. That's our only hope. Franz clattered down the stairs and bolted across the village square to the barn. Up, up, he shouted to the other pioneers. The Russians are coming. Leave everything and get out now. Take the road to the south. It's our only chance. 
the others poured out of the building. They cranked up the jeep and the truck while Franz rushed to his quarters. There in his room was the soldier's pay to be given to the men on Wednesday. In those document files were top-secret bulletins about future moves of the German army. His standing orders were to burn everything rather than to let it fall into enemy hands, but there was no time. What am I going to do? Franz wondered desperately. Options and objections tumbled through his mind. This door doesn't even have a lock. If I stay behind, I'm sure to be killed or taken prisoner. In my holster, I have nothing but a boot-polished blackened piece of wood. And even if I did have a real weapon, what could one lone soldier do to defend these documents? Yet I'm ultimately responsible for them, and if the Russians find out our plans and use them, I'll be court-martialed as a traitor and executed. He grabbed a piece of chalk and left the room, banging the door after him. Outside, he drew a skull and crossbones on the door. Underneath, he wrote in huge letters, Danger! Mines! Do not enter! Then he dashed away to where the huge diesel truck pulling its trailer was driving off. The little jeep scuttled on ahead. In the commotion, his comrades hadn't noticed that he was left behind. With a running leap, Franz landed on the connecting tow bar and clung to the coupling, trying desperately to keep his balance while the truck bounced over potholes scattering mud and gravel. We are going to make it, he prayed aloud. Thank you, Lord. But from where he was riding, Franz couldn't see an approaching curve. The driver made a sharp right turn, and the truck bed angled toward Franz and toppled him from his perch. He landed on the road, his head two feet from the front wheel of the trailer. In that flash of time, he knew that the wheel was going to crush his head. His entire life passed before his eyes like a movie. Beginning with that moment and going all the way back to the time when, as a two-year-old, he had fallen down the cellar stairs on his grandparents' farm. So this, not battle, is the end. Save me, Lord, forgive my sins, watch over my family. The wheel touched his skull. Franz closed his eyes, waiting for the final crushing impact. Just then, someone grabbed him by the collar of his uniform, wrenched him away from the wheel, and with one gigantic lifting movement, deposited him on the very top of the trailer. For a moment he sprawled there, dazed and shaking. Then he lifted his head and looked around to find his rescuer and thank him. There was no one there. Trembling, almost sobbing, with relief, Franz thanked God for giving him the sign he had prayed for. Awed, he remembered the words that had seemed so impersonal to him on Sabbath. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands. Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Soon the vehicles reached a wooded area where they hid for the day. In the distance they heard the crackling of rifle fire and every once in a while they felt the earth tremble from the force of tremendous explosions. Wait a minute, one of the men said. What's happening? You saw our side retreating, didn't you, Hassel? Exactly, Franz replied in a puzzled voice. There are no Germans left to fight the Russians, yet it sounds like some sort of battle going on over there. By late afternoon, the entire countryside had become eerily silent, and they ventured back. Low-crawling to a safe vantage point, they peered down on a road, clogged with a whole line of Russian tanks. There was no sign of life. "'Watch out,' whispered one of Franz's companions. "'It could be a trap.' "'Right,' said another. "'It's happened before. Whole units have been lured into ambushes just like this.' Suddenly they saw a movement. "'It's all right,' someone shouted. "'I'm German. Don't shoot!' 
A lone soldier appeared and walked toward them. Who are you? they shouted suspiciously. He grinned weakly, and they could see his face was pale. My name is Hans Kessler. Where's your unit? Gone. Juva left behind? That's right. I belong to a Panzer Abwehr Battalion. When the Russians attacked, my unit took off before I knew they were going. I grabbed my little anti-tank gun and ran along the road trying to catch up, but I realized right away that I'd never reach them, so I decided to hide behind a thick hedge beside the road. From where I was hiding, I saw the Russians enter the town and ransack all the buildings. When they found no soldiers, they got back in their tanks again and started heading down this road in my direction, because that's the direction the Germans had gone. They couldn't see me behind the hedge, and I was ready for them. In my training, I'd learned that Russian tanks are heavily armored in the front and on the sides, but pretty much unprotected in the rear, so I just waited for each tank to pass by me, and then I fired around at its ammunition chamber located in the back, and of course it went up with a roar. Well, this must have driven the Russian stock crazy. All they could see was tank after tank bursting into a ball of flames. They couldn't tell where on earth the attack was coming from, so I guess they just panicked. They brought the whole line of tanks to a halt, and they just abandoned them and ran helter-skelter across the fields. For single-handedly driving the Russians back, Hans Kessler later received the Iron Cross first and second class, and a promotion. Well, said Franz after hearing the astonishing story, I guess there's nothing to keep us from going back into the town. When they arrived back at their quarters, they found all their belongings destroyed or stolen. What the Russians were not able to take, they had torn up, then bayoneted and trampled. Nothing could be salvaged. Jaws clenched with apprehension, Franz jogged over to the room where he'd left the money and the documents. He paused outside the door for a second or two, dreading to enter. But when he finally opened the door, he found the room undisturbed. The records and secret orders were all in place. The soldier's pay was where he had left it. God had sent his angels here, too. This has been a production of Solemn Appeal Ministries, all rights reserved. For more information, please visit us at solemnappeal.com or call 1-888-449-1452.